Hi, I'm Afton. And I'm Anna. And this is Grits, a podcast on the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. Join us in reclaiming what it means to be girls raised in the South. Mm-hmm. So let's get gritty. <laughs> and we can't stop. And we won't stop. How does it go? <laughs> How does it go? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna pass on that one. <laughs> you are listening to some hype up music because it's late at night and it's it's late in the holiday season. It's it's a late night for both Anna and I, and I I wanted to to intro with a with a pump up song. So we played. We can't. I asked Anna what her what, what her college frat song, fraternity, sorority, dancing in the basement, sweating mm-hmm. all over each other song was, and she said we can't stop by Miley Cyrus. Mm-hmm. And then I found out your fiance was president of his Christian fraternity. He was. He lived in the house. Amazing. He's a very good boy. <laughs> Amazing. I can't even. And Miley Cyrus was allowed in the house in the Christian. Oh, frat. not in that one. They did have a really, really good uh, haunted house that they would run every year. They they did that in Texas. Really? Yes. <laughs> Must have been a thing. It was so scary. <laughs> they would like t- they would like grab your ankles and stuff. It have you? So but fun. do you have Christian? You are you familiar with the Christian hell houses? No. Wait, what? Really? No. I thought it was cool that his fraternity did like a haunted house that was like their big party so evangelical year. churches during halloween will set up hell houses and you'll walk the corner and there'll be a woman getting an abortion with a coat hang wait so my church in high school always brought us to haunted houses but i didn't know that but were they christian house? i mean was I there a moral there was was there I a mean, moral i don't think there were many like haunted houses that weren't christian in louisiana but i, I you'd be surprised i'm sure in the bayou Anyway, so maybe I went to hell houses. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to wonder. Like, but they're overtly Christian. Like, it's like abortion and stuff. Each of the each of the Halloween looking creatures, there is a there is some type of biblical passage that it's referencing. Oh, interesting. Okay, you're gonna have to do. Yeah, I. Anyway, well, his is was the traditional like ankle grabbing Jason mask, like chainsaw. So maybe you just missed the crosses that were tucked yeah. in the corner next to a passage of Matthew three sixteen. Okay. Ah, uh, well, it's been three weeks. Sorry, we didn't record last week. I was on death's door. Uh, I, oof, man, I I really thought I had I I was seeing the light. Yeah, I I threw up continuously for twenty four hours, and then had vertigo for another forty eight. So quite quite the holiday sickness cocktail. Did you figure out what it... Nope. No. Nope. Just... Who knows? Just <laughs> stress. Just 2020. 20, 2020 material <laughs> manifesting in my body and spirit. Yeah. That is the definition of 2020. Yeah. Um, well, I guess I'll go first on my updates. I have some some animal nug chronicles that I wanted to share with you, as, as I affectionately call them. So recently... So as you know, Lily is our chonky tabby cat that weighs 30 pounds. And every morning I wake up and I, and I, and I didn't, I, I hadn't realized I was doing this until Chris noted that, that I was, I walk up to her and she, she's like, meow, meow. And, and, and you know, cats don't like to be fondled with, you know, they don't like to be fondled unless they approach you. And I'm always just chasing her around the house, like a mad dash, you know, to get mm-hmm. to her vent. So one is that she, it's always the joke of the day, which vent she chooses. And it's quite, you know, there's five vents located downstairs and it's always like, okay, which one is she going to choose? 
But I, I end up creeping up behind her, and I'm like, there's some chonks in this house. There's some chonks in this house. <laughs> Seven days a week, certified freak. <laughs> chonks in this house. And and I, <laughs> I just, it's, I can't even I'm imagine. Sure she loves that. that like, if sense. someone heard that from outside the house, being like, what, what, what is, what is going on in, in this, in this household? So, anyways, Lily, I'm obsessed with her, and I think she, I understand that cats have a different... What are cats' love language? I don't know. I feel like they're very finicky. Get they haven't taken the love language Ours, test. like, sometimes are, like, so aggressively wanting affection, and then sometimes they don't alone or, like, do what they want. They're not consistent. Well, Lily yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, Frankie's been incredibly annoying recently. Our pod favorite, not-so-favorite uh, nightly ritual. So... The upstairs looks over our neighbors, their their our neighbor's dining room, and they have two small kids, and, <laughs> and so I was on a, I was on a conference call probably at six thirty, and I look over and he and he's looking out the window and he's growling, he's like, <laughs> and and I look over and they're having a nice a nice dinner, a nice lasagna, <laughs> like nice glasses of wine. And Frank, Frankie is so you're agitated. He's just so like, how could this family? be sitting down and eating and it's and I don't know if it's because he's he I don't know what it is I really don't but it's just it's now his nightly ritual so every time they have dinner he's upstairs just totally throwing a fit and it's like okay maybe he comes from a broken home and he's projecting onto this family that he wishes we ate dinner every night together I think he needs therapy oh my god dog therapy Chris and I joke about all of the dogs that will need therapy after this pandemic. I mean, think about mm. all of the lap dogs that when when their humans go back to work, what's going to happen to I, them? Wait, I actually saw a, I think it was Washington Post article today that said you need to start preparing your animals <laughs> for post-pandemic. <laughs> like you have to start leaving the house for hours at a time, <laughs> like slowly to like start reorienting them. That's really like, funny. Yeah. <laughs> It's very true for Frankie. Yeah, he's been really annoying. I felt like our, our animals got better, and then they got worse in the pandemic. Like, they were like, oh my gosh, I'm so appreciative you're here. And then it became, and now you're it's here devolved. all the time. Yeah, and now it's devolved. I'm going to have Frankie, whatever I want. Yes, yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's it's really annoying. Uh, other than that, I'm just, I'm, I'm a lifetime. I think I've been off for three weeks um, since I got mono in high school. So I'm excited about that. And uh, what are your updates? That's amazing. I'm jealous. Um, let's see. What what have I done? You got shots today. Oh, I did get shots. I can barely lift my arms because I got vaccines today. I got the flu shot and then a Tdap so that I'm nice and safe for the babies over the holidays. Um, You're not whose babies? My niece. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> There's only one baby. <laughs> surprise, surprise announcement on grits. <laughs> Um, yeah, my brother had a baby. I love gifts. I mean, I'm not the best at, like, planning ahead of time, especially now with, like, delivery times are so off. So, yeah, I've just been trying to do that and prep for the holidays. And what else did I say I was going to update about? COVID Christmas special? (laughs) Is that a happy meal? I don't remember. Well, it's like everyone's using their unique talent to add to, like, this Ratatouille musical coming in like 2022. (laughs) 
Okay. I don't know. Okay, uh, okay. I'm devolving. But also, on another devolving note, if you can tell how, like, fried my brain is, I have watched so much Grey's Anatomy in the last two weeks, so... And have you, and because I remember watching it and tuning in, whatever, it was every Wednesday night. So it started, it was Wednesdays, then it was Sundays, then it was back to Wednesdays. But it started in 2000, right? 2004. Oh my god. I was in fourth grade. I tracked the years, so like I've been in the grade that the year is my whole life. I graduated high school in 2012, my 12th year of school. Yeah. Okay, so I was in fourth grade when Grey's Anatomy started, but I had no... I was allowed to be, like, an adult kid, so I watched Grey's Anatomy from the very beginning, literally the beginning of it, like, on TV, and it, like, built a place in my heart, but after Derek died, spoiler alert, (laughs) for those of you who don't remember, like myself, uh, um, I stopped watching because I was so mad, I was in college, I stopped in six seasons since then. Oh my god. Yeah. Six seasons? Yeah. It kept going oh after god. I was in college. I watched it from fourth grade until college. And then I was like, I still have like, so I just literally stopped watching it. But I decided to start watching it. Well, I rented a spin bike from us from a studio here. It's in our guest room. And I told myself I can only watch Grey's Anatomy while and you're on a spin yes, bike. Yes, yes. Okay. Excellent incentive. A few hours in, like three episodes in. That went out the door. I just started watching Grey's Anatomy no matter what all the time. I would switch from the TV to my iPad to my phone. I would have it on. I would be like in the shower like watching it through the glass. Like I'm like watching it all the time. I'm like I'm so into it. I thought I would be over it because it's like not even like none of the original characters. Like there's like two well, I was gonna original ask you, characters. Does, because, because there are very few shows that are able to keep it together for as long as Grey's Anatomy. Oh, it still gets me every time. I really? bought into but, the new but, characters. But does it get better? But does it get better? I wouldn't say better because I feel like it caught me in a moment that I was so like a formative part of my life. <laughs> and I cannot you can really relate to the, to the new physicians that are having affairs in the nurses' quarters. It's yes, so dramatic. It. It's like someone has to. I was trying to describe it to Alex the other day. Like, someone has to die that you didn't think was going to die. And then someone has to survive that you thought was a single episode. Like, if you really watch it, like, watch for those two things because that's how they get you. But then you, you think after you watch, as I have, three full seasons in one week, you're like, this is the same formula every time. Like, they leave you the same cliffhangers. Same. Dev- there always has to be a steamy. Well, and yet you're day. still, and yet you're still captivated. I'm and totally you still hooked. keep coming back, and you still keep. I'm looking. I mean, honestly, it's the most escapist like TV uh, ever. It makes me want to be a doctor. Like Shonda Rhimes is my hero. Like she's the best person that's ever existed. <laughs> anyway, my mental health is poor. As <laughs> you can't tell. <laughs> From this rant about Grey's Anatomy. Okay, all right. So, Grinnells, we know you turned it into here, Anna's hot takes and thoughts on Grey's Anatomy. And uh, uh, and for those of you, the pandemic is an excuse to binge watch TV. Now, I did read an article about binge watching hurting relationships. And I I, I thought that was really, that you're just, you sit on, you live your life on this couch and watch TV forever i will say it does feel worse than when we're binge watching together because <laughs> alex, you're sneaking it <laughs> it's so true alex is so much more disciplined than me and he's like working out still and he's like 
working every night when he gets home he works and you're just until bed huddled and in I'm closet. like I'm like with my wine like my my spike cider like are they gonna kiss and he's like get a life like what's wrong with you well uh all that to say is PSA however you are handling the pandemic and uh However, your your whatever coping mechanisms you have created in order to cope with the pandemic and uh, twenty twenty elections, no judgment from grits. <laughs> no judgment from grits. Okay, well, um, so Anna and I talked about uh, the content for this episode as our final final episode, and and you know what? This is the first episode that wasn't within the two weeks. Yeah, we wow. did good. Uh, we did good. <sighs> It only took th- <laughs> three full <laughs> years. Thank you, the hauler, for keeping us accountable. Which maybe that was. I'm gonna. I'm gonna tell my therapist that that was that was something we had hoped for by Tennessee Hauler Network. We would become accountable to people to for every two weeks. So yeah, sorry, I was definitely ill. Uh, not COVID. Once again, vertigo. So not similar, but okay. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and so uh, for the final episode, we know that the, also, sorry, just want to apologize for the, the audio quality for Representative Johnson's interview. I, I remember being in the closet, I was in the, the laundry room at my parents' house. Corey's like, you know, I really, I think Zoom would probably be better for, for the audio. I'm like, oh no, this is fine. This is absolutely fine. And then once I was listening, it was, it was absolutely horrible and i really apologize so anyways uh yeah apologies for that i i know that it's more of the content than the, the audio quality but mm-hmm. <laughs> some spice pizzazz some I, was, spice I was trying to pizzazz pizzazz that's what i was trying to say mm-hmm. uh so you know make it more of an audio experience especially as covid continues you know make it more interactive and exciting yeah so for the final episode uh Instead of, uh, well, one, Anna and I want to make sure the content is, is relevant to all of our listeners, not just the politicos that love to, to tune in for our hot takes, which are there are many. Um, and I will say, I don't know if you've had a moment like this. I did have a moment where I thought, has Grits lived its life cycle? I thought maybe maybe our voices aren't needed. Maybe we can we can shift and lift up other podcasts. And, uh, and I was quite humbled that Chris did say that this this content is desperately needed so i'm 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 grateful yeah and i think yeah. we'll continue until you know we don't yeah okay great sounds good okay <laughs> so i'm having fun yeah and whatever. yeah whatever yeah, yeah yeah and that's the whole thing we never did this to get big i mean yeah if we get our hair done eventually <laughs> i mean that's a perk but we just did this to see each other yeah yeah really okay mm-hmm so thanks for listening, uh, and that's the episode. So we'll see, we'll see, we'll see you in twenty twenty one, folks. No, but really. Uh, so Anna, I had post was compelling. a yeah, compelling, very exciting uh, bumper sticker that I think all of us as Democrats should have on our Toyota Yaris's. Uh, but what's more important is I think um, so. As I've said, political operatives listen to this to this. What is this? A podcast. Uh, <laughs> For our hot takes, but also we want to make it super relevant for people um, like my friends who tune in in France and are uh, under uh, restrictions, aren't super political in the United States, but we want to make sure there are takeaways. So with that being said, so there was an article, as I said, uh, that was published in the New York, uh, Eric Levitz, Eric Levitz, Eric Levitz. 
and entitled Democrats Have a Problem, Workers' Wages Wages Weed May Be the Answer. And so I, I know that for those of you who are were not heavily involved in elections, that I, I know everyone is excited that the Cheetos out of the office, out of office. I understand that that is a selling point for people who voted in the 2020 election. However, for electoral organizers like myself, it was really humbling because we, we lost pretty massively across the scale in terms of the Senate, House, and state legislative maps. Um, and I think as as a moment of reckoning for the Democratic Party, as like you have this, this horrible orange fixture that you can fundraise off of and you can make the enemy and you can do, you know, a lot of work around that, but it was, the race was incredibly close. I mean, yes, mm-hmm. like, Biden inevitably won, but we lost Senate races. We lost a bunch of House races. Um, and so this article attempts to answer the question as to wh- what how, how what is the antidote to the Democrats' problem in terms of um, bringing more people into their orbit and uh, turning out more folks to vote for their... Uh, um, what, if you, I don't know if you, you said you read the article. Yeah. I know. What, what would you, what, what would you give a summary to our, to our, to our listeners? Yeah, so I think, I mean, it rehashed some of the some of the stuff that we know from the election. So, um, or we know that because of democratic consolidation in cities, which has been a thing for a long time, but because of the 2010 redistricting is even more severe that even if we have, um, 50% of people in metropolitan areas that they're going to represent, you know, 20% of seats, so you're looking at at people in more rural areas, um, more conservative leaning areas. They're they're disproportionately represented in these votes. So you have all these people, the extra four million people voting for Biden. Is it four? It's, I think it's more, more than, than that. that. Yeah, yeah, than yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Okay, the extra six, six plus seven. What what is it now? That. Who knows okay. what it is now? You have the extra six something million people voting for Biden, but they're consolidated into metro areas. And now, you know, he expanded some of his base into the suburban areas. But but on the other hand, Trump picked up more um, black men and Hispanic people. And so, and they're, and they're often more um, Associated less educated, with the Democratic. More, yeah, they were t- typically Democratic voters, but they're um, a lower education status. So, now it's more dividing on like education lines. So this is why we need to focus on the economic message of the workers' wages weed, um, because weed legalization is more supported by non-college educated voters, and we know that especially in this pandemic, we're seeing a bunch of low-income workers either lose their jobs and not have a source of income, mm, and lose I mean, their health insurance. So yep. Hispanics. Hispanic people lost their job in the pandemic than really? white people. Yes. Holy shit. Yeah. Oh because my God. of the certain industries and and the type of labor and the 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 income, I mean the income bracket that they're in. And so I I do think that, you know, Joe Biden has the mandate, but you see the map of the whole country. This article did a really good job of like outlining like where the country is and the map and like that Democrats have a big tent, right? They've got these college-educated elite people, but you know Trump won with over hundred thousand dollar earners. So it's such a there's no clear clear answers, but there is there is a strong economic argument that Joe Biden will be um, 
a voice for working class people or, you know, not necessarily just Joe Biden, but the party can be. That's where the party should step up because there is a coalition from AOC to Abigail Spanberger. Like, I know there's been tension. I know there's been talk of like, <laughs> there's talk about like intra party conflict or whatever, but there is a lot of agreement there and there is a lot of synergy or <laughs> whatever. Like, and this is saying because there's such a big tent, because we can bring in people that maybe went to Trump last time, something in Trump's message was appealing. Was well, an economic to populism. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I go back and forth. Like, I'm, I'll, I can never have been, never will be. I don't think. I'll see myself out. I'll see myself Which out of the closet. Fine. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. So, like, I can understand this um, inter party conflict a little bit. Um, and I still see that the idea of having a consolidated message, a consolidated offense around policies that are incredibly popular. And center economics. And center the economic, especially in this time where we're, I just saw a report today that said the estimated 3 million people lost their employer-sponsored insurance, which that's a lot of people. Because <laughs> especially it's the, the numbers were starting to flip. Um, we're like 50-50 public insurance and private insurance like honestly we're getting to the point where we're like and then any kind of gains in the wow or any kind of losses in the private insurance space are hopefully moved into the public space and then that is like the tipping point that to me looks like a scale oh like, that's exciting yeah it wow. looks like a scale of people saying wait why was i relying on my employer for this and i mean it's devastating for someone to lose their insurance right so like I don't know. I, I just think I'm I'm looking at this this connected this put some puzzle pieces out there for me, like of like we could have a very tight offensive strategy. We don't have to be the smartest people in the room, which I language, it's not fierce, it's not strong, it's smart, it's nuanced, it's intellectual, <laughs> but it's politically strong messages. So if this article is saying, like, let's come out, let's pick three things, whatever you want to call it, in this realm of maybe it's climate change, wages, uh, legalizing weed, but they name a few examples, but it's like, let's come out and just say these things, like, we and lace them with populist language, because the problem yeah. is, is like, and I see this in the nonprofit space, as well as intellectual spaces, as, as you said, it's like, you know, they're, they're, they're just going to have lost the labor core of our message and, um, or the people core. Yeah. We call it like yeah. People. I mean, it is labor, but like people centric. Well, and as, and as you said, like more college educated people voted for Biden this cycle and, and like, what is, what is a corrupt businessman from Manhattan have, have in common with, in Appalachia like I just like and, and it's and, and and I really want the Democrat and that's the problem is like there's just no self-awareness within the Democratic Party to ask the hard questions about why we lost and and how how we can move forward um and so this article obviously the workers banner I think is is fantastic and I'd love to see state Democratic parties really really embrace this and move forward in 2021 especially since we lost at the legislative level but I also think of workers wages and weed as as um, common terms for non-political folks who who maybe voted for Biden, but their daily life isn't consumed 
with politics like ours are, right? Like, mm-hmm. I just, I think of my friends who, you know, went to vote and they're super excited that Trump lost X. And, you know, for you and I who are, you know, waiting in these situations around the Democratic Party and the ideology and, and how how we can move uh, progressive policies through electoralism, I just wonder how we can how we can bring in more people into our tent. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to read a passage. So uh, this article says more than two thirds of Americans support the federal legalization of marijuana, according to polls from Gallup and Pew, while non-educated voters back legalization at a slightly higher rate than college grads. Nevertheless, the GOP's reliance on the square vote makes it difficult for the party to acquiesce to majoritarian opinion on the issue, blah, blah, blah. Finally, two-thirds of voters backed, according to Pew, 56% of Republican voters who earn less than $40,000 a year want a $15 minimum wage. Um, and so even if, and once again, I know for those of you super excited, Biden won, but um, in terms of the Senate map, we, so for ballot measures, and for those who are listening, I just want to put it in, in layman's terms, you have a statewide race, right? So you have a Senate, a Senate race. It's a statewide race where everyone can vote um, within the state. And those same people can vote for a ballot measure. And in Tennessee, we don't have the, there's not the mechanism to do that. But in Florida, a, a state that Trump won, guess what passed? A 15, a ballot, a ballot resolution for a $15 minimum wage. Marijuana, Montana, South Dakota, New Jersey, <laughs> South Dakota. Hello. Uh, New Jersey and Arizona. Uh, and as I said, Florida, 2.5 million voters, uh, or sorry, um, Florida voted to give up to 2.5 5 million Floridians are raised. More than 61% of voters approved amendments that will require the state to raise its hourly minimum. And think about Florida. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, in terms of taxes, Arizona Arizonians passed uh, a, a state income tax, an increase in a state income tax. So all that to say is that I think as operatives, and are you falling asleep? Do we need to do, no, do, we, do we need to play another Miley Cyrus song? Okay. Uh, that we, it, it's, it feels like we lost, but because of these progressive policies winning in the ballot box, I think that that stands a chance. And I think I head out of our echo chambers, out of our circles, and really go back to the people. And I do feel like speaking in a platitude, a platitude ma- mantra like workers' wages and weed, that we can really move the needle. Yeah. Yeah, I do think that focusing on, like, a, a small amount of things, because I can, you know a lot of websites and policy platforms are like just so overwhelming and so wonky and so just like complicated that like I I do think that finding things that we can all agree on and then of course when things arise like you address them right but I don't know I I feel like getting the party on the same page about a handful of things so for me looking into 2021 things I would want to be addressed um I mean, I was a big fan of Elizabeth Warren, so I think childcare is obviously a huge, a huge area for improvement. It's one of the main things that needs to happen to boost our economy next year, and also just like for humanity's sake and like for like the sake of women, <laughs> like in the country. Um, and I think that there is some stuff to be done about around healthcare. I don't necessarily think that's Medicare for all. I don't even think that's where like all the 
All the Despite all of the presidential ex- exit polls showing that Medicare for All was clearly the winner in each of these states. Yeah, but that's where all the energy needs to be focused, just because I know that has such a strong lobby against it that I think Well, that's, that- a, that's an important point. I think the Democratic Party has lost its progressive populist lens. Maybe it never had it to begin with. But we... <laughs> like, when you... When you have so many corporate lobbyists that are lobbying to preserve the health insurance industry and you can't just go out as a Democratic Party and say, listen, we don't want your family to file. Hey, we don't want your grandmother who needs, you know, who's barely eligible for Medicare to get a liver transplant and and is not able to get it right. Like they're not speaking. It's like Medicaid expansion. It's like, what the fuck is that? Um, Excuse my language. But I'm just like, it doesn't no one knows what that is besides nonprofit people and activist, right? And it's like the Democratic voting pace in Tennessee, for example, knows that we need to expand Medicaid because that's all Democrats talk about. But that's not, as I told you earlier, even if tangible. Well, one, like one, even if we, even if we registered and turned out the 300,000 person expansion population, who, who knows if they would even vote our way, but that's not enough to change, like change the course of of politics in Tennessee based on that voting block. And it's also, it's just super pedantic. And it's like the reason the Democratic Party doesn't speak in platitudes is because of their corporate corporate base and preserving the status quo because that's how they benefit from it. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder, it's like, and, and you can't think that, and I, I just, I, I'm, I'm concerned that a lot of liberals think Trump is an anomaly and that, you know, we, we can go back to how things were. Like, that's why we elected Joe Biden because things were great with during Obama. Guess what happened during Obama? We lost what 50 to 80 percent of the state legislatures and organizing infrastructure i mean we can't go back to how things were because things were really bad and that led to trump it led to people being medically bankrupt exactly yeah i agree and like how like you know i used to have so i studied health policy in college and i used to have people ask me all the time like because as the law as the aca is being implemented I was studying health policy. So people ask me all the time, like, what I thought about it. I'm like, it doesn't go far enough. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was passed, what, 2010. I studied from 2012 to 2016. My thesis was on part of the ACA, like a small portion of it around comparative effectiveness research. But my coursework was around the ACA. And, you know, I was kind of under the impression, like, it didn't go far enough. Like, it was a compromise, and it was trying to get Republicans And you felt that back then. Yeah, it was it was taught to me as like it was like one version of Romney Care, like which is a Republican wow. plan. Yeah, yeah, and it, it was. was very That's what it similar. was. It was very similar to a plan put out conservative think tank. I can't remember the name. Cato, maybe. Yeah, is that? It, there were some there was some think tank that put out almost exactly the same plan as as the ACA minus a few things like a few years before to preserve in order to ensure the preservation of the private health insurance because they realized there was an acknowledgement around the time that Romney was governor of Massachusetts there was acknowledgement that there was a problem in the healthcare industry as soon as Obama put his name on trying to fix the problem it became there is no problem there's no problem here Mm. and they empowered I mean obviously the, the lobbyists would still have been empowered but it solidified a movement against reform that would change the behemoth that is the industry we happen to be in the state with the biggest part of healthcare industry i'm and we still have somewhat expanded part medicaid of the, yeah i'm somewhat part of the healthcare industry almost everyone i'm friends with is somehow part of the healthcare industry or 
the economy here is like built off of the healthcare industry. Like it is, it is a big driver and it's hard to say, no, we should eliminate all those jobs. I get that, especially because they're high paying jobs, but you know what? We don't have a state income tax. So it's not like they really like benefit besides sales tax. How does it benefit in property tax, which is so low. It's so low here. It just like baffles me that we have so much industry, but we have like such extremely low taxes in a way that like it's telling people anything above this would be seen as an imposition, right? Or anything that would threaten their job, anything that would threaten them living in a mansion, anything that would threaten them if they had to pay an income tax or whatever, they would say they would be so thrown off by it. But I do think that there's room in the healthcare space. I don't think it's Medicare for all in the next four years. I, I mean, it's wrong. like, but it's like, it, but even the language that we use to describe, I mean, think about how common people, like, I will never forget being at a coffee shop before COVID and hearing two young women discuss deductibles and premiums and just thinking about how my counterparts and my peers in other countries, ne- this conversation, they don't even, they, those words don't even enter their, their conversation. Yeah, you don't have to make GoFundMes for your health No, and like- it's, and it's so perverse. And I think, and, and it's, it makes me incredibly sad because I just feel that we're not speaking to common folks about like, yeah, and maybe Medicare for all isn't the right campaign slogan, but in my mind, you know, as an activist, it's a way to get the message across, but like everyone deserves healthcare. Like there's no reason that private insurance companies should exist because they don't serve a purpose. Like the state can do this and the state does this in every other developed country besides the United States. And the public citizen, I saw a tweet today and we can post it, but it was like the number of the number of low wage earners that have lost their health insurance during due to COVID, list of 20 countries, zero, 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 United States, like 12 million. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, it doesn't have to be like this. And the Democratic Party, because of their corporate donor base and because they don't want to take big populist stances, like the stances that allowed Trump to be elected, I mean, it's... But I, I do feel like what the article is saying, too, is that, like, these don't have to be radical populist ideas. They're just, They're like not. They're, and, and that's the thing. They're it's like not radical. It's not yeah. radical for pe- for us to want pe- people to have health care, for your grandmother to get the surgery that she deserves, for us to be in a country that has dealt with the pandemic in a way that believes in science. And, I mean, it's just, it's so, oh, it's so perverse. <laughs> it's so bleak. And it just, it, it and I'm you know, as I'm saying this, it's, it's, and I think that's where like my bouts of depression come in because when you're in the thick of it and politics is not just like, it's your lifestyle. It's not just a hobby that it's just, it becomes so much worse. (laughs) And then I think about what, what are the practical implications for my friends that aren't political that, you know, want to do good in the world. And like, what does that look like in terms of policies that we can pass and I do feel that this article touched upon like make things super simple make it about the economy and you know take into consideration equity because like weed you know people of color are are put away at greater rates because of criminalization of marijuana and what does that look like and I just like we just we need to be more out front and bold and speak in the same populist platitudes that Trump did. Otherwise, we're going to lose people in the jargon of intellectual nonprofit speak. Do you disagree? No, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, said, I don't know why. I, yeah, your turn. Your turn. Yeah, no, I, I, I get what you're saying. I definitely like. 
I mean, there's a difference between, like, the political reality and then, like, the dreaming and that, like, idealization of, like, what, where can we be? But I feel like there is this middle ground, like you're saying, where we can, like, we can get out of the uh, jargon, the academic jargon, because I do feel like the exit polls, if they showed us anything, it showed us that, like, college-educated people are consolidating on one side of things. It's only going to get worse because of geography. We're going to have less representation. I speak as a college-educated person. And I see that I have alienated people with the kind of language that I use Mm. and the concepts that I'm thinking of. And I'm alienating myself, too, in a way. And I still have enough, like, touchstones to, like, I can understand that someone who went from, like, the benefits cliff. I understand I was on Medicaid. And I understand what happened when we made just a little bit too much for me not to be on Medicaid anymore. And then it went. But that's rare. You're a rarity. I know, but I'm saying, like, but you could take that boat, you could take that either way. You could take that situation and say, this is messed up. The ACA is horrible because now this ACA plan costs so much more. Mm. Or you could take it the other way and say, there's a hole, there's a gap, there's a, um, there's something wrong here. But, 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 where, but the majority why would it go from zero to seventy? But the majority of Americans who are in survival mode that just need health insurance and the drop is from zero, the drop is from 400 to zero, depending on what you make. That's and, and they say that person didn't try as hard as me. I tried really hard to make this amount of money and I now get this like I, and they get, they have to pay zero. Like they don't understand And we're talking about the marketplace in terms of people who don't have health insurance through their employer and they go to the marketplace and marketplace plans are very expensive right now. And the whole goal of the Affordable Care Act, as well as Obamacare, was to make health insurance more affordable for people. And it just hasn't happened that way. Yeah. And now, I mean, inadvertently, some of the stuff that Trump did, like made plans more affordable to certain people under, but there's still a cliff. It just moved the cliff. Like. (laughs) <laughs> there's still there's a family glitch and then there's there's like two or three different ways that marketplace coverage isn't affordable to you but now there's a lot of people that play zero premiums they may have really high deductibles though. but no one but i'm saying like, but like this people is don't understand that the complexity so All a, music, a national like, musician who goes to the marketplace that needs insurance because they don't have they're not working at their coffee shop and they're not able to support themselves right now and they log in and all they see is a 450 dollar plan that's America. And it's it's unaccessible, right? So all you have to say is, we believe that insurance should be accessible. That's it. Like, or we should be. No, we should be. Have we should be. Everyone should have health care. Yeah. Period. Everyone should have health care. And I mean, you could put caveats on it. You could say that they can afford or whatever that's going to no, make people feel No, it should be better. free. In every other developed country, it is free. There's no reason why it should not be free. Yeah, but I mean, you pay. They have more intense taxes, the more money that you make. So then you are actually paying for more of your more money that. But you're make. not having to deal with the bullshit of insurance. Companies. I know it's horrible. I mean, it's horrible. I wish that we could get rid of it. Like, I, I don't know. So I did. I just think that if we can get to these like this of like that tap into some of that economic anxiety of the, I do think there's a way to. Uh, inoculate against that that impulse that comes up with you that scarcity so you have this scarcity you say I'm not getting what I need I'm not getting the health I don't have I don't feel like I have access to health care I don't feel like I have as much money as I deserve for working this hard and I'm looking at Joe Schmo across the street they may be an immigrant they may make less money than you they may have more kids than you 
They may, mm. you may have some kind of bias or something against them that you're saying they don't deserve what they had, but they're nice driving a nicer car. They're buying that thing in front of you in the grocery store. Like all that kind of stuff is because of the core issue of scarcity. Like I do think that there's a deep sickness of white supremacy in our society. And capitalism. And cap- it's capitalism. I mean, it, it is, it's the haves and the have nots. Like it is this this paradigm that if we were to crack through that with these like values based messages that are like but also to make things more equitable and like people aren't starving yeah Yeah. it's like it's like people are fighting for the bare necessities in other countries that like why would you think if you work 40 hours a week that you should not be children (laughs) yeah exactly like and that's what people think in this country but you're you're mad at your own situation but and you're looking at other people that may have it better but it's like it's not about other people it's about like there is a solution for you, and it doesn't have to do with you taking from other people. If they have it, you can't have it. Like, and that's just like a that is capitalism, like right, like how the market works. Yeah. Like there's yeah. a market share. If there is, a you get this, amount. and this other person doesn't. Yeah. I mean, it's and it's messed up, and it's like, and that's what I think has been really frustrating for me as a socialist, like especially bringing my parents into the fold, but like it'd be this way. And it's funny because my parents always push back, and I think. Like, you, you let us travel to Spain. You let us travel to country. In Portugal, it's a socialist country. The socialists have the majority rule right now. And, and it's like, we've seen how things can be different and better in other countries. And I would just like to say to anyone who is listening right now, if you think the United States is handling COVID appropriately and it's the best response that it could be, you are deeply, deeply disturbed. <laughs> I'm sorry. And... I, I just, and especially after all of this, is like, how do you walk away from the pandemic not radicalized? How do you walk away from thinking that we don't need universal childcare, that we don't need universal health care? And I, and I, and I, and it's like, if the Democrats are speaking to that in terms of, I think you need access, you need access to health insurance. It's like, pandemic give people health care. It is nor, it is a normal thing in every other country but the United States. I get so I just get so wild up I'm sweating okay anyways okay well we're almost on the hour so we should probably shift and I just Anna and I one I want to make it obviously my goal for grits is to make it actually what is your grits goal for 2021 more wine more confidence (laughs) just kidding no, you're not. Okay. Uh, I want to make it more of an interactive experience. But as I said, and I think we started with this was like, how can you, how can you apply what we're talking about your lived reality, like your world right in yeah. front of you? And I think we need to get back to that in 2021. But all I will say is for those of you listening who aren't super political, but voted in this election, and thank you, um, you know, talk about th- that if you vote Democrat, and that is true right now. Like we, especially at the state level, you have candidates that are 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 fighting for better wages for workers, that are fighting fighting terrible extremist governments that are limiting the COVID, limiting liability of companies to to protect their workers in terms of COVID, right? Like you are fighting for 
workers, wages, and legalization of weed. And I and I would challenge you to bring that bring that air of confidence and and those policy ideas with you to the dinner table because it doesn't have to be. And we can we'll talk about defunding the police maybe in 2021. It doesn't have to be about identity. It doesn't have to be about these cultural wars. It can be about economic messages. And I challenge all of you listening to this pod to really really embrace that like the Democratic Party at this time, even though. At, at the top of at, at the top of the ticket, they're not really talking about these things, but there are people like myself and Anna who really believe in these three economic pol- progressive policy measures, which are protecting workers, supporting them, making sure there's a fifteen dollar minimum wage, and legalizing weed. Yeah, and I do think that there's like uh, the polling shows, you know, that it, it's like. Democrats are worried about COVID. Republicans aren't. Republicans are worried about the economy. Democrats aren't. I think that's a false choice. Mm. I think that our economy will not be good if COVID is rampant, mm. obviously. Mm. <laughs> like, I think there's yep. there's a clear tie, like, to having a uh, rampant virus that is killing people. Yeah, not good for your economy, like, at all. And so I do think that there's a way for our economy to operate and that res- and public health measures are not damaging the economy. Like, sure, maybe at the beginning when the pandemic was happening that we didn't understand what was happening, like, that in all restaurants we now realize that they could have operated in a way, but we didn't understand the disease. And so I think, like, I want to say that, like, we just keep creating these false choices. You you say, like, you can't have personal responsibility if you give everyone health care. That's not true. That's not yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. Like, and maybe empowering people to be able to take care of their own health without the fear of losing their house or their car or their job because they may make a little bit too much and then they're going to lose their health care. Like, there's all these situations that we put people in that are unnecessary, that if you were just to grant the basic level of meeting the basic necessities of life, meeting the, you know, the basic needs of life, that we would be level playing field. To then explore like how we can enrich our economy. Yeah. How we can and, take care of ourselves. How we can go to therapy and not be overeating. I mean, seriously. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I, I do think that like when someone's in survival mode, like, I, I don't know. I mean, I, do, I just think we create false choices for ourselves that you feel like in your, you feel like when you have that hint in your heart, I know what this feeling is. When you have that hint in your heart of compassion for someone else. But then you remember what someone told you that they should just be doing something different than what you, than what they're doing. Like, question that. Question that feeling that you have that says, but they should just act differently, or they should just do something differently, or they should just pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Like, question that for a second and say, what if they didn't have a chance? What if they were set up for failure? What if a, what systems a, are in place that a rampant virus yep. right. <laughs> affects their ability to work because their training is in, you know, hospitality? Like, think about that for just a second and say, what can we do in our economy to it? Maybe if they don't get sick, they could work. <laughs> just a question, you know, just a question to ask yourself, like, rethink some of the things that that just come automatically to your mind when you're thinking about some of the policies that we're talking about. All right. Well, Chris Gratitude Corner. Well, I will say, because my birthday is always right next to Christmas, well, a month apart, but what is time in in the time of COVID? Uh, 
I'm grateful for everyone that has spent time either writing me notes or gifts or just thoughtful messages or reaching out. I, I like, I'm tearing up thinking about it. I'm just really mm-hmm. grateful because I'm not one, I, I'm an extrovert introvert. I spend all of my extrovert energy in my job. And at five, like at the end of the day, I don't want to talk to anyone. I barely have enough energy to, to chase my chonky cat around the house. Um, and I'm just really grateful for folks that have reached out because I like I'm I'm very grateful for my friendships and people who love me and uh and I know this was a really hard year and I used the election as kind of a crutch to to not have to engage. <laughs> but uh truly it's it's really, really appreciated. And for all of all of you who've listened and for the folks at the holler, Cassie in particular that has has produced our episodes and and supported our work uh and gloria and my parents and whoever in anna's orbit and our nugs and everyone we're just we're grateful that you exist and that you support us and um you love us deeply Anna, what are you grateful for i'll second that like the people that reach out and say how are you doing or how are you feeling or are you okay like i think those are just always really important interactions because it's easy to um, get in your own little hole, dig yourself dig yourself a hole, and um, I appreciate all the you know good thoughts and prayers and love and light that it's sent my way. I know it's cliche, <laughs> That's me. I'm not a, you have like you have the thoughts and prayers people, and you have the love and light people. I'm yeah. definitely in the latter. <laughs> I love it. I love love and light. That's what I needed. Like I'm such Spending a Sending light and light kisses and chunkiness. Maybe the, I'll start saying that. The wrong. two I'll things I say about myself the most are that I'm I'm of a weak disposition and I'm <laughs> and I'm uh, melancholic <laughs> because I I love Jane Austen and like the sisters and stuff and so I always use things I'm like I have a weak constitution and I I just, like, can get really, like, weepy and just, like, down and just in my head about things. And, like, uh, there's always someone that's, like, hey, what's up? Are you okay? Like, Check on each other. No, yeah. I'm not. <laughs> so as we go into the holiday season, it's going to look a lot different for a lot of people. Let's all, like, find some sense of self, some sense of joy, some sense of connection if hearing us annoy you makes you feel something makes you feel alive then we've done our job <laughs> <laughs> oh my god look at me. i'm oh. not supposed to be close to the microphone my mom's gonna yell at me <laughs> okay um, all right well as we go and i'm grateful for your um, remember a candelabra thank you <laughs> i am the fanciest person ever <laughs> The fanciest, the fanciest domestic house on North Second Street. I'm gonna cribs. You're gonna come in, and I'll be like, <laughs> "Welcome to my crib." It's like a red carpet, like a four-inch red carpet. You're like, welcome. <laughs> welcome. I'm gonna light my candelabra. I'm gonna watch Grey's Anatomy. I'm gonna sob. <laughs> I'm gonna drink my red wine. All right. Well, uh, happy New Year. Please stay safe. Oh, we forgot to mention Tennessee's number one in the world for COVID. <laughs> Happy holidays. We have something to celebrate here. Happy holidays from the COVID capital of the world. Number one in Number cases Number one per in capita. cases per capita. So everyone, get out to Green Hills Mall. <laughs> Go drink a glass of wine at Restoration Hardware. Okay? 
because we're winning. We're winning. winning. Hashtag winning. Hashtag winning COVID. Hashtag, hashtag Trump. Hashtag. So go get those Christmas gifts. Get all those people to your house. <laughs> okay. We love you. We're grateful for you. We'll see you in 2021. Goodbye. Forever. Not really. Bye. Thank you to our girdles and our family at the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. Be sure to check out the other podcasters in the network who are doing the Lord's work in the state of Tennessee. Find the good stuff at www.tnholler.com and be sure to subscribe and support the Holler while you're there. Follow the Holler to keep up with what's going on here in the state at the TN Holler on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And follow Grits at Grits Podcast. Keep it gritty! Bye!